the Presbyterian John speaking to the predestined lady this morning uh, from 2 John, and so Paul has chosen Psalm chapter 12, and so I'll read Psalm 12. To the choir master, according to the Sheminah Psalm of David. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is the master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Actually, skipped ahead to the, to the next verse to get my thread um, from First John, I mean not John, Third John, uh, Second John rather, uh, verse four, and it's like a preview of next week's uh, Sunday morning message. But you notice there that it's uh, I hear that some of your children are walking in the truth. You know, it doesn't say all of your children. And the truth uh, of the gospel in every generation, including the first generation, is there have always been those who start out with just an incredible profession of faith and then walk away, apparently, from the faith. And that's been that way from the very beginning. Jesus chose the 12 disciples, among them was Judas, who was one of the trusted apostles uh, or disciples who went out with Jesus and apparently did all the things the other disciples did, including miracles and preaching and teaching. He even had the position of the, the church treasurer there, and, and, um, and, um, and yet we're told that he was, uh, from the beginning, not one of uh, the elect. Rather, he was assigned a place of perdition from uh, all eternity, we're told, in the scriptures plainly by uh, the assessment of his life. And that, that fact has, uh, has remained in the history of the church. When John wrote, um, it, it's, it's, it's a matter of uh, discussion of, of when exactly uh, he wrote his epistles. Some say as late as eighty ninety. if you take a later view. I, I'm of the mind that he wrote much earlier, well, 20 or so years earlier than that, uh, or more. 
before the fall of Jerusalem. It makes more sense to me in terms of the, um, the things that are, um, um, that we know of the scriptures and that, that he, and that, and that would still make him an elderly man by any de de definition, present or ancient. If, it's, if he doesn't write the Revelation until 1895, well, you can do the math yourself. I mean, he's ancient at that point. And I, I, uh, I know most of the scholarship is in that direction. But the, but the uh, reason he writes those epistles is that there were those who were walking, literally walking away from the faith. And I find it very interesting that there's a new movement called the walk away movement. If you've heard of this or seen this, it's very prominent and some very prominent evangelicals um, have, have literally walked away from the faith. And this is not anything that surprises us. This is not anything new. Um, in fact, it's not just limited to the, the, the New Testament. In Psalm 12, all of the scholarship around Psalm 12 uh, says it's a time in David's life, probably, I mean, in numerous times in his life, his 70 years on earth in which he had unfaithfulness and he was dealing with it constantly, but the overwhelming um, consensus of scholarship is, it is at the time when he was running from Saul when Saul was pursuing him in the wilderness. And he is in absolute agony about uh, the king turning against him. It's not only, not only the king, it's his father-in-law. You gotta remember, he's uh, married to Mike. It's his father-in-law has turned against him. And not only has Saul turned against him, he um, has done so in the most vicious way um, the the old Bible scholars again put the uh, time frame of the circumstances around this psalm to be at the time of um, when he's running from Saul and he hides out with Abiathar the priest and um, he escapes uh, they feed him over in 1 Samuel 21, 22, I think it's 22, where the, uh, Saul hears about it and he summons the priest to, to his um, headquarters and uh, he orders his men to kill the priest because of their betrayal. I mean, there's nothing more wicked in the life of the, the uh, people of God to think about the priests who were in charge of the sacrifices, who were obviously faithful priest who were murdered by uh, Doag the Edomite at the command of Saul. The, the, um, his men, his, uh, the Jewish men of uh, Saul's camp wouldn't do it. They refused. And he ordered Doag the Edomite to carry out uh, the death sentence. And it's, uh, I think, 80 priests died. So there's this wicked wicked circumstance and you know it could have been later it could have been in the, the vileness and the wickedness of his son's rebellion Absalom's rebellion which is uh, full of some of the most horrific 
vile things, is the last verse, um, I think of, the, of chapter 12, it talks about the, how vileness is exalted. I can't help but, couldn't help but think about Absalom, how he exalted himself and put a tent on his father's house and proceeded to uh, violate uh, all of uh, David's wives in the sight of Israel. Vileness. We live in a vile world. These, these, uh, and it has been the case from the beginning. We, 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 we do ourselves no service when we read the Bible and we think that it existed when the Bible was given. It was, it was given in some pristine, perfect environment in the Holy Land. Well, even today, if you go to the Holy Land, you know that it's not all that holy. It's full of wickedness, full of evil. So what do we do? What do we do in the midst of a political violence? How else can you describe it? The things that are going on among leaders, supposedly leaders, we would in times past in our in our country have thought better of, but if we're really honest about the history, it's never been all that good. There's always been violence. I uh, entitled the sermon, I think I entitled it, oh, a war of words, I got the clever there. Um, the, my first point is that the, you see this, um, the word of God versus the word of the world. And I'm thinking in the, in the way that John uses the world in, in the sense of describing the world system that is arrayed against uh, the Lord Jesus and his people. The world system that is wicked and vile, uh, and and David describes it, and he cries out for, to God for salvation, because in the midst of this godlessness, and and if, and I do believe the despair matches the tone the, of of this incredible loss. If you think of the all the priests that served the temple, and and they all they're murdered by by the man who was supposedly God's anointed leader in Israel. What are we uh, to do? And he cries out, Save us, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of men. And in the place of the faithful, everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and a double heart they speak. Uh, the Hebrew literally says a heart, heart. You know, it's like not double heart. It's heart, heart. With two, two different uh, um, ways of, of viewing the world. And the contrast between the, the, the purity of God's word and the purity of his prophets and the, and, and <coughs> the wicked uh, could not be more clear. They speak lies. They have flattering lips. Uh, this double heart. They have great boasts. And they say, with our tongues, we will prevail. I, I uh, find that the best thing that I can do for my, my disposition in 
this in this type of environment, this type of world, is to turn off the, the news. Mm -hmm. Just don't. It, it just uh, because uh, so much of it is obviously um, made up. And the best thing that we can do in the midst of this wicked, fallen world is exactly what we're doing here tonight. We're to gather with one another and be encouraged by the Word of God. And the second uh, thing after that is we should respond by calling out to God by prayer. Notice, he calls upon the Lord. May the Lord cut off flattering lips. There's not, it's not wrong to pray against evil and wickedness. You may have family members that you need to pray for in this way. You may have co-workers. You, you, you might, um, it, it could be a neighbor. Sometimes uh, I've, I've counseled people, sadly, who've had neighbors who were just the sight. Uh, and, and, and God puts these providential uh, things in our life to, to uh, grow us up. Um, so there's, so this, the Psalms are full of these imprecatory prayers, and this is one of them. Of, um, and, and, and it doesn't comport with this nice view of Christianity uh, that we sometimes have. We, you know, we, we want everybody to like us, and, and we want to be nice and have this real gentle way. No. If there's evil, and there's evil being done to us or done to people we love, if, if God's uh, priests are being murdered, we call out to him and we ask that God will intervene. Uh, it could be another instance in David's life. He had this commander. He had this incredible commander named Joab. Joab, he could clean house on the battlefield. He could do things. He could get things done. He was a... He was a uh, something else, but he was also a duplicitous liar who took vengeance into his own hands more, uh, at least twice that were recorded where he puts his, puts his arm around um, Abner's neck or uh, um, Amasa's neck first. He does Amasa first and then he stabs him in the belt. And then again, he does it to um, Abner, David's trusted confidant. Perhaps it's this is this is in view. Um, one commentator calls this the, the the kiss and kill method of Joab. We have an old saying, you know. You know, in the south, let me hug your neck, you know. And we have another saying that you don't hear very often, watch out for the knife that is being stuck in your back at the same time. There are people like that in this world that are wicked and they're vile. And 
We are not to take our own vengeance. Scripture is clear. But we are also um, enjoined by the Psalms, and this one in particular, to call on the one who does execute vengeance to do so justly and righteously. Um, but the little, I, I mean, I, I, I try to read my news rather than watch it because it seems to help. It seems like <coughs> uh, they call the chattering class. I mean, they exist just to inflame your passion so you watch more of their, of their interpretation and get you more and more worked up. So, I, but, but what I read is just uh, incendiary. I, I probably will not go and see, I don't know if anyone's seen the new movie about the child trafficking that's out. Has anybody seen that? I don't think I can go see it. I just don't think my, my disposition will allow me to see it without um, just really being um, overwrought. And I know that's, but, but it's, what, what is more vile in the world than harming little children? And apparently it's been done on a scale that's historic in our own, in, among, in our own borders. Um, I'm so grateful for our Vacation Bible School leadership and all of you who are willing to work with our children. Everyone who works with children has to go through a background check. And that is just a necessary evil in this vile world and we do that to protect our children and we're we're a people that that uh, is intent on protecting our children but it's not wrong for us to pray for justice for these little ones who are being made to stumble or where jesus will will uh, vindicate them. He promised. He said, anyone who would let one of these little ones of mine to stumble, cause one of these little ones of mine to stumble, would be better for them to cap, uh, tie a millstone around their neck and be cast into the sea. Um, fearsome, a fearsome judgment. In Micah, chapter 7, another time in Israel, uh, much later than David, the situation is the same. Put no trust, 7 verse 5, put no trust in a neighbor, have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt, the daughter rises up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies are the men of his own house. It's a description of so much of what takes place in our world. But the answer is the same one the psalmist, or, or David rather, is, is pointing us to, who is the psalmist in this uh, Psalm 12. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. 
my God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, my enemy, when I fall, I shall rise. And when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. And he goes on to talk about how God will turn um, his reproach into victory. This is the world we live in. But the promise is God will keep his people. But, but listen to the situation. The poor are plundered because the needy groan. I will now arise. God says, I'm not going to let it go. I, I will place my, my, my son, my daughter, I will place him in the safety for which he longs. And then he describes how pure his word is. We, uh, this wonderful study on, on um, Christianity and liberalism. It's uh, the contrast between the way liberal Christianity mm-hmm. views the Word of God versus how uh, those who believe the Bible is the infallible, inerrant Word of God. It is the core issue. Um, um, that 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 bring that book brings out. And someone um, once described it to me. It says it's not what liberals say about the Bible that is that is is bad necessarily because sometimes most of the times they don't say what they really think, and they may say some things that are good and true, and or even refer to it. What the, the real problem is what they don't say and what they don't affirm about it. And, and that is this, that the Bible is the infallible, inerrant word of God. What they don't say is that not one word, as, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, not the tiniest letter, not the tiniest stroke of the law, none of it will pass away until every bit of it is fulfilled because it is God's word and verse 7 describes how pure it is it's like silver refined in a furnace on the ground purified seven seven times verse 6 rather it is absolutely pure It's, uh, that's as uh, pure as, a, uh, as it could possibly be made in those ancient times. That's saying that it is perfect. And that's the description of the Word of God that we hold to. Not only merely a description, the reality of it is. And through this means of grace, this ordinary means of the Word of God, as we take it in personally, we take it in in our family devotions, we take it in in our in our Sunday school classes, or our vacation Bible school. What a wonderful theme, um, scripture-based theme for our children. Um, uh, we can do so with confidence. With absolute confidence, when you act upon the infallible, inerrant Word of God by faith, you can be absolutely confident that 
that you are in the will of God, that he will guard us from this generation forever. Remember the life of David when he had opportunity to take vengeance on Saul and he was had him hemmed in in a cave and in the in Gedi wilderness. Uh, he had the opportunity to take the matter into his own hand and he said, no, I don't have to take matters into my own hand. I'm going to leave it to God. Far be it from me to take your vengeance, God, in my own hands. And he told Saul that. And it was... It was a rapid um, end to uh, Saul after that. Uh, God will, God will, if you wait in the midst of injustice, in the midst of uh, these vile things all around us, if we wait upon the Lord, if we call upon him, we can have confidence that he will act. I, I, uh, I've seen too many things in my own personal life um, that I thought I could at some point uh, uh, take matters in my own hands and, and then came to the place where I would have to commit them totally to him and then to watch. It's a fearsome thing to see how God will vindicate us far beyond what anything that I could ever possibly imagine. It's what Paul tells us to do in Romans never take vengeance into our own hands but give it to him and he will go he will he will do far beyond what we could even think uh, on our behalf the ultimate vengeance for our enemies is to see them converted to see them repent and turn to the living God the, the psalm ends on a sour note Really, um, the the introduction I, I, did, I skipped over that to the choir master, according to Sheminit. Some of some of your Bibles probably say it's um, on the on an eight string instrument. That's Sheminit means eight. So some scholars, no one's quite sure, but um, that's probably the type of instrument that was uh, uh, David was playing on. But it's a, it ends in a minor chord, it, it, like most Hebrew songs do, I understand. It, on the way, on, on every side, the wicked prowl and vileness is exalted among the children of man. Uh, that's, that's the world we live in. That's the world David lived in. That's the world we will live in until Jesus returns. When we're tempted to despair, we should turn to the Psalms. We should claim these precious promises that the Lord will keep us. He will guard us from this wicked generation. David, David talked about a generation of wickedness. That's what we're living in, a generation of wickedness. But God keeps his own, and he will keep, keep you as one of his own if your faith and trust and confidence is in him alone. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the pure word of God that has been read, that uh, has been expounded. We pray that you would use it to transform us where we are. 
Father, and we feel, I know I feel, beat down and oppressed. Just, just listening to news, just watching what is happening in our world, it is overwhelming how uh, your truth has been cast aside. And to see the wickedness perpetrated on, uh, on innocence, Father, in so many ways, in so many places in the world. It's overwhelming. And it does seem the wicked are prowling free. But the truth is they are not. You are they are storing up wrath for the day of judgment. Or they're are they're filling up um, uh, wickedness that you, Lord, will pardon because you are a gracious God. Think of Manasseh, who did the vilest, wick, most wicked deeds to his own children, and uh, and Lord, at the end of his life, he repented and turned to you. Father, may we have that spirit, not of uh, self righteousness or holding ourselves above others, not to desire uh, vengeance and justice, Father, that uh, only you can perform but to give room for that vengeance and that just justice and turn it over to you and not be tempted to take it into our own hands. Father, we, we pray for uh, a deeper understanding of your grace for our lives daily. It, may it inform our prayers. May, may we call out to you in the midst of a world that speaks lies constantly and uh, uses flattering lips and a double heart like the devil himself did to our first parents and continues to do to us. May we turn away from these lies to you, the living God. And Father, may the truth uh, of the gospel of grace, the truth of the gospel of mercy and peace, Father, may it transform us we did more deeply understand the truth of Jesus and the love of Jesus in our daily lives. And we pray for this now in his name. Amen.